Good morning and welcome to Hoffman Town Church. We have worshiped our God with beautiful music in prayer and in that spirit of worship. We're glad that you can join us today. It's going to be my joy to be here this Sunday and next Sunday also. On March the 1st, our worship leader, David Hopkins, brought a message on bringing in the harvest, which he challenged the church to become more soul conscious, conscious of the people out there that we meet every day that do not have a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. I happened to be here that Sunday, and as I thought about what he had to say about bringing in the harvest, we really need to be conscious of what desperate need people without Christ find themselves in. So today I want to bring a message that I have entitled, The Meaning of Lostness. What does it mean to be lost? Or you might say, how lost is lost? What does that mean exactly? There are several descriptions in the Bible of people that are Christless, people who do not know God personally, the people who are not members of the family of God, those who have not been born again. But the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Ephesus, gives one of the most vivid descriptions in one verse that you'll find anywhere in the Scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. He's telling the believers, the saved, those who have experienced Christ in the church at Ephesus, just for a moment to look back and reflect on the time before they came to Christ. And this is what he says to them about that condition before coming to know Jesus. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. In five very descriptive terms, Paul describes what it really means to be lost. We need to keep in mind the definition of what lostness really is. We don't like that word. I don't like that word. Because there is a coldness. There's a sadness. There's an emptiness. Anytime that you mention the word lost, we don't like to go to lost and found, trying to find a missing purse or a billfold or something that we have misplaced we've lost it and we can't find it so we're seeking for it we don't like to have to go there but what a joyous experience it is if what we have lost has been found Merriam Webster's dictionary defines lost with these words unable to find the way no longer visible helpless desperate we know people have been lost at sea. They've been lost in the mountains. They've been lost in mines. They've been lost in jungles. We know what it means when we see in the paper someone is lost. It means they're separated. They're out there. But nobody has been able to find them. In wartime, sometimes that sad telegram would come to a family about one of their loved ones missing in action. It means... We don't know if their person's alive or they're dead. They're separated. We have no word from them. It is another description of lostness. Lost is a Bible word. Jesus Christ told Zacchaeus, 
I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said, this is my mission. On another occasion, he said, I've come to give my life and to give it a ransom for many. So we know what Jesus' ministry in this world really was. It's redemptive, finding lost people, providing eternal life, salvation, a right relationship with God Almighty. I want us to become more conscious of people around us who are lost. There are about 7 billion people in this world. They tell us that 5.8 billion are lost. 1.6 billion have never, ever heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They tell us in New Mexico that 9 out of 10 people in this state who have reached the age of being accountable to God are lost. So everywhere we go, when we're shopping, when we're in activities, people are our neighbors. They're all around us, lost people. Do we really know what it means to be lost? Do we have a grasp on how desperate a condition they're really in? What a bankrupt life they're having to live because they do not know Jesus Christ is their Savior and God is their personal Heavenly Father. They're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So this morning I want us to look at the five ways that the Apostle Paul describes lostness. First of all, he says that to be lost is to have a life that is, that is without Christ. A life that is Christless. When you think without Christ, what does that mean? Well, it could mean an abundance of things. First of all, it means that you don't know the creator of the universe. You don't know the person who created you in the image of God. It means that you do not know the one and the only Savior, the only begotten Son of God. You do not know the one who sustains and keeps everything in its right orbit, in its right place. John tells us in chapter 1 that everything that has been made has been made by Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians 1 that not only has everything been made by Him, but everything consists, everything holds together by Him. He's also the coming King of kings and the Lord of lords. So when you miss Jesus, oh, you miss a multitude of things. But I want us to notice two specific things this morning. First of all, to be lost means to be without the I am's of the Lord Jesus. We're going to look at eight of them. Just look at the scripture. Listen carefully what it says. This is what Jesus says about himself. This is who he is. This is what he provides. So first of all, we'll notice that in John 4, verses 25 and 26... The woman at the well, she says to Jesus, as they're carrying on a discussion, remember she's been married five times, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I can imagine her amazement when Jesus said, yes, the Messiah is coming, but he's here. I am the Messiah, the Christ. The word means God's anointed one, God's only begotten Son, the only one of His kind. So we know that He is Messiah. He is Christ. He is God's anointed one. In John 6.35, Jesus declared, 
I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. That means that he su supplies, he sustains, he satisfies everything about the spiritual life. When I think about lost people, I think they're just knick-knacking around in one of Satan's quick diner joints. They're trying to find off of the husk of the world some nourishment for the longing within their soul. When God has a six-course meal spread out for us through Jesus, who begins by being the bread of nourishment and life, these folks, without Christ, lost, they're out there trying to find something that satisfies the spiritual taste buds of life, but they're never going to find it because only Jesus can give us bread that we never hunger again and give us water that we never thirst again. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light dispels the darkness. Life brings everything visible. Light is so good to be able to walk and know where you're going and not to stumble and to fall. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. <laughs> we can walk in the brilliance and the light of God Himself. Jesus not only said, I'm the light of the world, but speaking to His disciples, He said, you are the light of the world. So when we come to know Christ, we become light like He is light, dispelling the darkness and helping people to know the way. And we have God's light not only to guide us, but to live inside of us, to illuminate His Word and to make clear to us what the good path of God really is. Again, in John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the gate, the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is our door of protection. That shepherd in the sheepfold, they had an opening where the sheep could go in and out. They did not necessarily have a gate there. The shepherd slept there. He stayed there. He kept the sheep on the inside, especially at night, away from the wolves and those who would devour them. So we know that Jesus being our door, our gate, He is the one that protects us. Not only does He protect us, but also we notice that He gives us a purpose of life. It says they go in and they come out. We're not enslaved. We're not in a little four by six prison cell when we come to Jesus. There's a freedom to live life to its fullest and have its, have its absolute godly meaning. Then we also notice He provides for us. The scripture we just read says that they will find pasture. So we see that in the good shepherd, in the gate, in the gate, we're going to come to the good shepherd, in the gate, it is the door. It is the door to heaven. Jesus is not one of many doors. He is the only door to heaven. Jesus also says, and I just mentioned it, He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus loves his sheep infinitely, and he loves them intimately. You'll never have a better shepherd, gentle shepherd, a shepherd who loves, who cares. He lays down his life for his sheep. That's the kind of shepherd that we have. 
Sometimes in life we kind of don't know which way to go. But if Jesus is leading us, if we're walking in His footprints, then always we know we're on the right path. We're doing the right thing. We have the Good Shepherd to be able to follow us. Then in John 11, 25 to 26, Jesus said to Martha, they're at the tomb of her brother Lazarus, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Paul says in this Ephesians chapter that we have read for our text this morning in chapter 2, same chapter, verse 1, that lost people are dead in their transgressions and their sins. They're walking cadavers. They're just moving around in deadness. And when they die, they're going to experience a second death. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And the one who lives, lives and believes in me will never die. The body's going to die. But the soul, the spirit, the real person is going to live. We're either going to live in heaven if we have Christ as Savior. God forbid we're going to perish and live in hell if we do not have Christ as our personal Savior. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except he comes by me. He says, I am the way, so I am the way for going. He says, I am the truth, so he says, I am the way for knowing. I am the life, so he says, I am the way for living. But if you do not have Jesus Christ, then you're not on a straight and a narrow way. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. And the Bible says there's a broad way, and it leads to destruction. But Jesus said, I am the straight and the narrow way. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? It's a good question. What is truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. We know that Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. He perpetually lies. It's his it's His way of living. It's His lifestyle. Jesus Christ is truth. It's His lifestyle to always tell us the truth. So we are grateful that in Jesus we have the way, we know the truth, and we have the living that we really need to experience. There's one last thing that I want to say about the I am's of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him... He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's always good to be attached to something that's living and producing. And Jesus said, I am the vine. If you're attached to me, if you're one of the branches, then out of you will come a fruitful, meaningful life. There will come those things that not only meet present needs, but will last for all eternity. That which has true meaning and lasts forever is the fruit that comes from our attachment and production from Jesus Christ. Now, we have mentioned eight things that Jesus says, I am. If a person has been born again, saved, has a personal relationship to Christ, he can claim all of those. But a person who has not come to Jesus, a person who is, as Paul says, Christless. They don't have anything. The bread, the light, the shepherd, the resurrection, the vine. They don't have any of the eight things that we have mentioned. 
how empty a life that is. There's a second thing we'll say about being without Christ. Not only are we without all of the I am's, who he says he is, but we're also without the abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. God does not want us to be vagabonds and beggars. He does not want us to just live in the gutter of life. He wants us to have the good life, the abundant life, the meaningful life, the overflowing life, the life that is not only purposeful, but the life that is peaceful. God is not Ebenezer Scrooge. Bible says God is love. What good is love if you don't give it away? And God wants to give His love to every person. The seven billion people that make up the population of the world, God loves each and every one as if they were the only one to love. So we want to know that abundant life, purposeful, meaningful, overflowing, abundant. And it's in Jesus. Jesus said, I have come for that purpose that you might have life and have it abundantly. So what does it mean to be lost? It means simply that you're without Christ. You're Christless. There is a second thing that Paul says as we go back to the Scripture. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Separate. That's not a good word either. Separate from Christ. Then he says, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You say, well, uh, Claude, what does that exactly mean? Well, it means that a lost person is not part of the family of God. They're not part of the citizenship that makes up God's kingdom. They're out there alienated. They're just kind of vagabonds wandering around with absolutely no, no home. So we might say that uh, they're homeless. They're homeless. Let's notice two things about being separated and being outside of the family of God. First of all, it means that the person has never been born into the family of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious man, a very high moral man, a Bible-believing, the Old Testament, his Bible-believing man, he said to him this, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Born again. Yes, we're all the creation of God. We're all made in the image of God. We're all made for God. But not all of us are in the family of God. We have got to be born into that family. And that doesn't mean that you become religious. It doesn't mean that you become a part of a certain denomination or a member of a specific church. It means that there is a time that you experience Christ personally when you say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I turn away from it. I open my heart and Christ, I ask you to come and to live in me and be my Savior and be my Lord. When that prayer is prayed from the heart to the person of Jesus, that individual is what the Bible calls born again, becomes a child of God, becomes a citizen of the kingdom of God. You say, well, well Claude, uh, I grew up in a good Christian home. Well, that's wonderful if you have that privilege. But just remember this, that does not make you a Christian. 
You can be born in a garage, but it doesn't make you a car. You can be born in a Christian home, but it does not make you a Christian. It's an individual, personal, one-on-one thing that we have to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, as we notice what Paul is saying here, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, God chose the Jews in His sovereignty. He chose a people to be His people. Not to exclude all the other peoples, but He wanted to have them as a trophy piece for the other people to see. He wanted to be able to love and bless and give to them that that the other people could see. When people follow Jehovah, the true and the living God, as the Jewish people follow, then God can bless them. He will bless them. And that's what God wanted the Jews and Israel to be. He wanted them to be His children, His family, His own, part of His kingdom. In the New Testament, it's called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. So when Jesus established the church, and we know that Jesus died for the church, and we know that Jesus is going to come for all the redeemed, Old Testament and New Testament. People take pot shots at the church today, but I wouldn't do that because if Jesus established it, if He laid down His life for it, and if He's going to come For all of the redeemed of God, I wouldn't make light of that which belongs to God. So it's wonderful to have a citizenship in God's kingdom, to be a part of His makeup of population. The second thing I want us to notice about outside the kingdom of God, a life that is not ready for the death, for death, or for Christ's coming. Two things are going to happen to us in this life. We're either going to die or Jesus Christ is going to come. One of those two things happened to be a certainty. In Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 2, it says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. There was a time that we were born, but there will be a time, if Jesus does not come, that we will die. The writer of Hebrews says, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, we will just die once physically, but we won't die just once spiritually. There is a second death the Bible refers to, which is eternal separation from God. We all need to be ready to die. When you're ready to die, you're really ready to live. And keep in mind, when, when the writer of Hebrews says, a man is destined once to die, and after that the judgment, Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. Someday the Christians will stand before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, to give an account of our stewardship and of our service. But we want to keep in mind that we don't have to give an account for our sins if we have accepted Christ as our Savior. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we want to keep in mind that uh, a person who is lost, they're not part of the citizenship of God. They're not part of His kingdom. They're not part of His family. You might say they're homeless. They're homeless. So we've seen two things about being lost. It's Christless, but also it is homeless. There's a third thing that Paul says. 
He says it's life without God's promises. I'll read the entire verse again. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ. Christless. Separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. Homeless. Without a family. Without a father. Also he says, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. In this blessed book, there are 6,000 promises that God makes to His children, to His people. 6,000. Lost people cannot claim the promises that God makes to His own children. They can claim some wonderful promises. Here's one. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise of God to lost people. He that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. That's a promise of God to lost people. But he makes some wonderful promises to his own children, to those of us who have been saved. We'll just look at three areas very quickly. First of all, notice that it means that uh, if we are promiseless, it means that we do not have God's promises for eternal life alive in us. We do not have a life. It's a life that's void of the promises of God about eternal life. Quote a verse we all know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the only one of His kind, that whosoever, anyone, anyone, whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, turns their life over to Him, will not perish. The word perish is a Greek word, apollyon. It means destroyer. It's another reference to Satan. He is the destroyer. But it means they'll be destroyed, not annihilated, but destroyed in a condition of being destroyed forever and ever, separated from Him. What a horrible, wretched condition that really is. There's another verse we referred to, 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's nowhere in the Scripture it could be clearer than it is right there. The person who has Jesus Christ as their Savior has life, abundant life, eternal life. But the person who does not have Christ does not have either one. It simply means that uh, they do not have any assurance that they're going to live with God forever. The Scripture also says in Philippians 1.21, my favorite verse in all the Bible, it's already on my tombstone, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. So death for a Christian is always a promotion. It's an advancement. But the person who doesn't know Christ, it's perishing. It's an eternal separation from God. So it's a terrible thing to not be able to claim and know that God's promise of eternal life belongs to you. A second thing that he says, talking about the promises of God, it's a life that is void of God's promises for victorious living. We've got to live in an imperfect body in an an imperfect world. What are we going to do? How are we going to live victoriously in this kind of environment? Well, Jesus tells us how we can do that. For one thing, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Sometimes when we're beaten and battered and we're just sort of wiped out, we can always come to Jesus. 
He has a tender voice. He has a very light fingerprint. He wants to be able to touch us and to bless us and to help us. Also, the scripture tells us that we can ask and it will be given to us. We can seek and we can find and we can knock and the door will be opened unto us. So when we don't know answers to some of life's greatest questions, we can ask. When we're trying to find direction and guidance, we can seek. When we're trying to find exactly what we need to do, where we need to go, we can knock. For the scripture says those that ask will receive and those that seek will find and those that knock the door will be open. It's a promise of God that he makes to his own people. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do anything, everything. If Christ wants me to do it, he's going to give me the power and the ability to be able to do it. James 1.5 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. If you want to know the mind of God, the will of God, the way of God, you ask. You ask for His wisdom. And He says He will give it to you. These are promises, 6,000 of them, that God makes to His people. One that I've claimed many, many times over in the book of Proverbs is, uh, you know, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. 6,000 golden guarantees that our God makes to His children. Claim them. But we remember that a person who's lost is Christless and hopeless. Excuse me, and homeless and promiseless. There are two final things that he says. Paul goes ahead to say, looking at the whole verse one more time, Remember at that time, before you were saved, before you became a child of God, when you were lost, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without hope. Hope is a wonderful thing. The Bible has a lot of things to say about hope. For instance, um, to be lost means that uh, there's no hope while we live. No real hope while we live. Proverbs 10, 28 says, The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. The hopes of the wicked come to nothing. Because of the present uh, coronavirus, a lot of people are losing hope. I can understand if you've lost your job you maybe can't pay your rent. You're wondering how you're going to put food on the table. I can understand how there can be that spirit of hopelessness. And sometimes that spirit takes a person to, to suicide. And that is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Don't ever do that. There's always an answer. There's always hope if the hope is in God. If it's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, this is another of the great promises of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, uh, those of us who know Jesus, we have a living hope. Living hope. You say, well, what is a hope? Sometimes we cross our fingers and close our eyes and put our hands behind us and we say, I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, that, that's a wish. But a hope is a sure thing waiting to happen. It's a sure thing waiting to happen. It's kind of like a young couple. They've been married a couple of years and they're thinking about family, having a family. And sure enough, they go to the oncologist and he says, yes, you're pregnant. Now, it could be uh, one month, two months, maybe into pregnancy. But we know this. That pregnancy needs to last nine months. So if it's two months and you get the word, yes, you're pregnant, then there's seven more months to hope and to wait. But it's a sure hope the day of delivery will come, the day of birth of that new baby is going to take place. And all of God's promises, they're all built on a sure thing. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It will take place. In Titus 2.13 Paul writes to the young preacher on the island of Crete and says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the second coming is a blessed hope. It's going to happen. It's a sure thing. God's timing, that's all that's there to keep it from happening, is God's perfect timing. Sometimes when you look around, you'll find people who are living lives of absolute hopelessness. I remember one event from my years, 12 years of pastoring the First Baptist Church at Pampa, Texas. Pampa's up in the Panhandle, about 60 miles northeast of Amarillo. I had the privilege of pastoring that great church for 12 and a half years. One day when I was making hospital visits in the old Highland General Hospital in Pampa, I was going down the hall and I heard this voice over my shoulder, Pastor, Pastor. So I turned, stopped, looked around, and Mrs. Moore, one of the members of our church, a nurse there, she was running. She ran up to me and she grabbed me and she said, Pastor, we need you. We need you down in room 110. How I can remember the room number, I have no idea, but I can remember that. She said, there's a man in there and he's trying to resuscitate his wife and we can't get him to quit. So sure enough, I opened the door and the doctor was standing at the foot of the bed and there was a beautiful black nurse on the other side trying to work with him and he was up on the bed on his knees and he had his wife's head in his hands and he was taking a deep breath and then he would try to blow that breath into her and he would shake her and yell at her. He cursed the doctor standing and he cursed the nurse and finally I put my hand upon him and I said, Sir, you're going to have to put your wife back down on the bed. I'm so sorry, but she's gone. He gave me a good cursing, just not to miss anybody that was there. I could tell that she was young. I could tell that he was young. So I finally got him to stand on his feet and we went down to the nurse's lounge and we sat down there. He was weeping naturally, crying. I said, Sir, uh, tell me a little bit. Uh, do you have any children? He said, Yes, I have three children. And he gave me their ages. They were all 12 and under. I said, um, you're going to have to go home and tell your children that their mothers died. And I'm going to go with you. But I want you to get yourself together the best that you can. Because when you tell them that their mothers died, 
They've got to have somebody to lean on. I'll never, never, never forget what that man said. He looked at me through those tears, quivering lips, and he said this. This is nearly word for word what he said. He said, Mr., tell me something. Who in the blankety-blank am I going to lean on? That's a good question. That's a good question. If your life is built on sinking sand, there's not much to lean on. But if it's built on the solid rock, there's a whole lot to lean on. There's an old hymn. You're probably familiar with it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Without Jesus, life is sinking sand. But with Jesus, it's a solid firm rock. Not only is there no hope while you live, but there's no hope when you die. No hope when you die. Bible says in Proverbs 14, 32, the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Listen to that again. The wicked, that is the Christless, is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Back in the book of Luke, we see that uh, one man has died and gone to heaven, and another man has died and he's gone to hell. And there's a plea from the man in hell to Abraham to send down Lazarus with a one drop of water on his finger and put it on his parched tongue. I guess he felt like it would feel like a flood had hit the place if he could just have one drop of water. But it's interesting what he says back to him. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. We know that eternal heaven and eternal hell, once you're there, you're there. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, if you know Jesus, you're there forever. Perish, separated, in hell forever. No going back and forth. It was Milton who wrote Paradise Lost. And he put a sign at the portal of hell. And this is what it said. Abandon, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Abandon hope. What does it mean to be lost? It means that you're Christless. And you're homeless. And you're promiseless. And you're hopeless. And one final thing. Godless. Let's read the whole verse one more time. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. 
and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God. So much we could say about being without God. What would we really want to say first? What do you think about when you think about God? Some people it's, here comes the judge. Or some people it's someone in the great somewhere. Or some folks it's very flippant. Good old God. No, we know that God basically is love. There are a lot of attributes describing God, but probably the most vivid one is God is love. Paul says in Romans 5, 5, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. We have God's love flowing through us. Remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? It says love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. It starts with love, God's love. I cannot think of anything richer, pure, beautiful, powerful, beyond that exceeds the love of God. So a person who does not know God does not know His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His acceptance. It's so tragic to be without God's love. Not only means that we're going to live a life without God's love if we refuse Christ as Savior, but it also means we're going to spend eternity without God's love. The Scripture says that in, in Revelation 20:15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How do you get your name in the book of life? By accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Then he goes ahead and he talks about heaven, about our being God's people. He be, he's our God talks about streets of gold and gates of pearl and walls of jasper and no need of the sun, the moon, or the stars. talks about God's love every day, forever, and ever, and ever. But a person who's not saved, a person who's lost, is godless. They don't know God's love while they live. And they'll not experience God's love for all eternity. There's a song. I'm going to close with the words of this song. Listen to it carefully. The Him, H-I-M, is referring to Jesus. Without Him, I could do nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. Without Him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Without Him, I could be dying. Without Him, I'd be enslaved. Without Him, life would be hopeless. But with Jesus, thank God, I'm saved. Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know Him today? Do not turn Him away. Jesus, oh Jesus, without Him, how lost I would be. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you need to thank Him for the five things we've described today about lostness that they do not apply to you because He is your Christ. You do have a home and a citizenship in Him. You can claim 6,000 promises. 
You have a living and sure hope. You're looking for the blessed hope. And also you have God's love flowing through you. Oh, how blessed it is to be saved, to be saved. But how bankrupt, how horrible to be lost. If you're listening today and you are lost, you know you're Christless, churchless, promiseless, hopeless, and godless. You know that's your condition. Don't stay in that condition. Because the scripture says, reading the next verse after the one that we have read this morning, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That separated, lost, far away. But you can come near, right up to God, God in you, if you'll trust Jesus personally. I want to go through that sinner's prayer one more time. And if you're there and you've never trusted Jesus, you may be a member of a church, you may not be. You may have a religion and you may not. But if you don't have a relationship, it doesn't matter what kind of religion you've got. You've got to have a personal, individual relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I want you to pray this prayer. Not to me. I'm just a man. But I want you to pray it to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. Pray it carefully. I'm going to give it slowly. Dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I turn away from a sin-style life. Jesus, I open my heart to You. Come and live in me. Be my Savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer, I hope that you will make contact with Hoffmantown Church. That you will let them minister to you and disciple you and to help you. God bless you. And may each one of us who are in Christ keep a constant consciousness of what it means to be lost and to share the good news, the gospel with the lost people who are around us.